to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. Well, it's really good to be back with you all. I so appreciate John preaching last week. John and his crew are a blessing, in fact, a great blessing to our church family. Lori and I had the opportunity to take a few days off, and we certainly enjoyed that. I especially enjoyed not watching the news. I don't know what to tell you about time away. People sometimes want to know, like, well, what did you do? Well, I hit golf balls for the first time since December. That was certainly a thing of beauty. Lori somehow managed to set off a 911 alarm in an airport elevator. <laughs> and I exchanged nonverbal pleasantries with Nikki Haley at the airport in Charlotte, North Carolina. Translated, we nodded at each other. She's running for president, you know, so I'm hoping if she's elected that she will allow me to be the ambassador to Krispy Kreme or something. <laughs> This summer, we're taking a break from our regular book study. I've told you before, my favorite preaching is preaching through books of the Bible. And that's not because I like necessarily preaching through books personally better than topically. But I do think generally it's better for the spiritual growth of a church family. But it's hard sometimes to preach verse by verse through a book. You can't avoid the hard passages. You don't have the luxury of dancing around the obscure texts. For example, you may recall just a couple of years ago, we as a church family went through 1 Corinthians. I preached through that verse by verse. I promise I would have never preached a sermon on being baptized for the dead if I hadn't been going verse by verse through that particular book. Now, some of you are saying, is, is that in there about being baptized for the dead? Yes, it is. And you would know that if you had been paying attention. So I contemplated kind of moving into the summer, you know, what to preach topically. There are all kinds of catchy thoughts that we could utilize. I thought about preaching through some of the teachings of Jesus and calling it Lessons by the Lake. Who doesn't like to be at a lake in the summertime? And I know that I need to do some preaching on stewardship, but I got bogged down. I'm not all that creative. And so I thought, show me the money wouldn't be a very good sermon series title. I could do some more on marriage and family, but then I would have to talk about the role, the biblical role of men leading their homes. And somebody might call Whoopi Goldberg on me. And then you'd have to send your emails to John and Travis. You know, I don't care, by the way. But I thought about spiritual gifts. But that's a little dangerous, too, because nobody really wants to talk about spiritual gifts unless I endorse their view of speaking in tongues or healing. It's kind of funny to me. Nobody ever wants to talk about the spiritual gift of martyrdom. I mean, like, you exercise at one time, and that's it. (laughs) It's true. So I thought I would let you in my little circle, give you a little insight into what I think about and what sometimes jazzes me in my time with the Lord and what has been of great encouragement to me through the years in my time with the Lord. I thought I would simply preach on my favorite verses. (laughs) So that's what I'm going to do. Preach on my favorite verses. Sometimes it will be one verse, 
I promise I'll give the full context of that. I thought about calling it, you know, my favorite pericopes, but I knew that wouldn't sound very good for a series. Since I'm a preacher, I'd have to change it to personal preferred pericopes so that it all works together, but I didn't. So here we go. These are not going to be in any particular order, the verses that we will deal with week by week. I don't have a single favorite verse, really. I have a bunch And so let's get to the task at hand from the text at hand. This morning, we find ourselves in the book of Romans, the book of Romans and the 12th chapter, as we begin the series, my favorite verses, Romans 12, and we'll begin our reading with verse 9. If you're able, I will invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's holy word. Romans 12, beginning with verse 9, where the Apostle Paul writes as follows, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, that's an awful lot, isn't it? Just those several verses. It's hard and it's easy to be a Christian. It's hard because, let's face it, living for Christ, responding to others the way Christ would have us to, flies in the face of our flesh. So it's hard. But it's easy, too. It's easy because the way of Jesus is clear. The truth is, seldom do we have to contemplate how we ought to treat someone else. For the most part, given the example of the teachings and the life of Jesus, we already know how we're to treat others, right? So it's hard, but then it's easy to be a Christian. Someone has said that what Paul writes here is essentially a parallel of what he writes in 1 Corinthians 13. In that text, he describes what love is, and in this text, he describes what love looks like. Throughout the text this morning, and it's likely, by the way, going to be the case for much of the series, you'll notice the verses chosen are all pretty straightforward. In other words, I don't think there's going to be a word explanation or a phrase we have to parse that's going to give you a whole lot of cause for surprise. Pretty straightforward. So what do we learn from this biblical, beautiful, convicting text? First of all, we learn how to love. We learn how to love. Verse 9, let love be, say this with me, genuine. One more time, let love be 
genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul's starting place, and rightfully so, is love. And he reminds his readers that love should be genuine. Now this is not, let's be clear, this is not mere sentimentalism. No, this is gritty. This is love through the hard times. This is love through the challenges. This is love through the difficulties of life. We've all, I'm sure, experienced that experience of someone saying they love us while at the same time sort of twisting the knife in our back. Can I get a witness? Years ago at a church I served in college, and I've told you the stories, some of them anyway, about this particular church. The church, everything went off the rails. The pastor left. The chairman of deacons was running the place because the pastor owed him money. Lots of craziness that went on there. And after a very contentious business meeting in the church where everybody was playing the blame game, at the ripe old age of 20, I suddenly found myself in the crosshairs of a jealous, unpaid staff member One of the guys who was negatively vocal in the meeting saw my dad in the church parking lot. And he was the kind of guy who just gushed Christianese. You know, the kind of people I'm talking about. Well, amen, brother. Isn't God good? I mean, got all the Christianese down pat. He gushed all the Christian talk. But, But you felt like, to use a biblical phrase, He was a whitewashed tomb. So he reached out his hand to shake my dad's hand on the church parking lot. My dad reached out his hand in return. Now, I wish you guys had all known my dad, but my dad had a hand that was about the size of the top of this pulpit. So when he reached out, it was a big deal. Now, if my dad was anything, he was honest. He was so honest. He was sometimes too honest, unvarnished honesty. And the guy said to my dad, my dad's name was Ken also, he said, I just love you, Ken. Now this is after he had scorched me in a business meeting. And my dad, while shaking his hand, said, no you don't. (laughs) If you did, you wouldn't be such a jerk to my son, and you wouldn't be so enamored with getting your own way in this church. My dad was always concerned about finesse. He was kind of like the Marlboro man, only sanctified. (laughs) Like he would say those things and you would hear this. (whistles) (laughs) At any rate, crass or not, what my dad did was call this guy out on his lack of genuine love. See, we're not genuinely loving others when we gossip about them, berate them, tell lies about them, and so forth. We're not abhorring evil when we're behaving in an evil manner. We're supposed to, as Christians, hate evil. We're supposed to love others, especially believers, with brotherly affection. We're supposed to, are you ready, outdo one another in showing honor. I always quote part B of this 10th verse, I mean, I quote it all the time. I especially use it in premarital counseling and even in marriage counseling. If each partner's goal is to honor their spouse more than they're being honored, everybody is honored and everybody wins. That's true in marriage relationships. It's true in family relationships and even friendships. 
And it's certainly true within the church. Just another reason why I think these verses are so good, and especially on a day when we're to experience the Lord's Supper together and be reminded of the love that we're to have for Jesus as well as for one another. So we learn how to love. Secondly, not only how to love, but how to serve, how to serve. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Again, pretty straightforward how to serve. There's no wiggle room when we read this to say, but, but what does Paul really mean? Well, Paul is pretty straightforward. He means be zealous and fervent, serve, rejoice, be patient, certainly not an easy calling, right? Pray a lot, be generous to other believers, and be hospitable. It's not rocket science, right? Having heard that, does anybody question what Paul really means? Paul is telling his readers then, and by extension, us as his readers today, how to serve, how we're to serve the Lord, as well as serving the body of Christ. Now, certainly, we recognize zeal can be misguided, but it can also be properly guided. Being fervent demonstrates an inner intensity that might seem a bit over the top to those who don't have it. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he was being fervent. All of these things are important. Everything Paul lists here is important related to how to serve. So how to love, how to serve. Thirdly, how to respond. How to respond. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is how to respond. This is, as we used to be able to say without a further explanation, this is what separates the men from the boys when it comes to things of faith. This is what is a demonstration of Christian maturity. Bless, rejoice, weep, live, associate. All of these action concepts are vital to the Christian life. But notice, if you will, not only what the text says, but what the text does not say. It doesn't say, bless those who bless you. Now, I don't know about you, but I do know about you. It's easy for us to love people and bless people who love us and bless us. Come on. Now, I don't think that, I certainly have never been persecuted and never persecuted for my faith. I doubt that, that many, if any of us in the room have been. It might be the case that someone's been persecuted. But most of the time, we're not persecuted. We might have a bit of an inconvenience. Somebody might say something ugly about us and so forth. But that doesn't rise to the level of persecution or martyrdom or anything quite like that. But it would be easy to bless those who bless us. We're supposed to bless those who persecute us. So at the very least, we ought to be blessing those who aren't kind to us. Dr. Steve Brown is my role model with all this. And while I may have a few critics from time to time, not anybody in the church, by the way, 
but critics who want to yank my chain now and then. Dr. Brown, because of his platform, has a whole lot of critics. And so I've adopted his counsel. When someone unjustly critical of me or straight up mean to me or tells lies about me, I just keep doing my thing. Dr. Brown says you just keep doing your thing. So I just keep doing my thing. Somebody's mean to you, talk about you, whatever, just keep doing your thing. Dr. Brown says that when he gets critical and condemning letters, he responds with, you may be right, and then he signs his name. (laughs) Let that sink in. If I were to do that, I would be more prone to say, that's all you got? (laughs) Ken. Because the truth is, for the most part, even the things that people might be the most critical of us regarding, really, that just barely begins to scratch the surface about what they really could be critical about us regarding, right? You want to be critical about me? Talk to my wife. She knows. She knows. Listen, people are always going to dislike you, criticize you, be critical of you. Some situations maybe seek to harm you. And assuredly, there will even be people that will hate you. Let me ask you a question, having said all of that. Do you belong to Jesus? Not a trick question. Do you belong to Jesus? Okay, then. Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you you. So in the words of the song from Frozen, let it go. Huh? Let it go. What's the big deal? You belong to Jesus. They hated him. They'll hate you. Let it go. Now listen, this is a lesson that I've not completely learned yet, but I'm learning. I'm better than I used to be, and I'm grateful for that. But here's a thought, especially if you are on the receiving end of vitriol from another so-called believer. Jesus said, it's the world, it's the world who hates believers. He never once, not one time, makes the case for believers hating other believers. You get the inference there? So if nothing else, it ought to cause you to pray for somebody else's salvation. Really, the simple things, respond with love, respond in truth, but respond with grace. William Wordsworth said, the best portion of a good man's life is his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. So how to love, how to serve, how to respond, fourthly and finally, how to live. How to live, verse 18 and following. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't mean what probably a lot of you might think it means. We may have time to come back to that in a few weeks. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How to live. Now, this section really is my favorite. And within this section, my favorite verse is verse 18. Why would this be a favorite? Because it reminds us that we're only responsible and we can only be responsible for our actions. I don't control anybody but me. 
this ought to make a lot of you feel as if you're off the hook. And the reason you should feel as if you've been let off the hook is because you've been let off the hook. You cannot make someone accept your forgiveness. You can't make someone forgive you. The caveat that Paul gives here is if possible. If possible. If possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. It's unfortunate, but we've all known people that regardless of whatever you might do in an attempt to build a relational bridge from you to them, they're not even going to entertain the notion. And there's something important about that. If a Christian, by what he or she says or by what he or she does, indicates they're unwilling to strive for this peace, I would question whether or not he knows Jesus in the first place. See, there's something deep within the heart of a believer that longs for reconciliation. And I believe that's from the Lord. There are a lot of things in life that I think we're better off not knowing until later, maybe a later particular time. Here's where I'm going with this. When I entered vocational ministry, I thought everybody in the church loved Jesus and, and wanted to reach the world for Christ regardless of what it took. I thought that when two believers had a sharp disagreement, they would sit, talk, and work it out. Now, that's the way it should be, but that's not always the way that it is. And if I had known how all of that would play out in my life, if I'd known all that way back when, I'm not sure that I may not have hesitated in my own calling. So I'm glad, for what it's worth, I'm glad I didn't find that out until later. Now, before you leave saying, so the people in this church don't love Jesus? Yes, the people in this church love Jesus. It's the church down the street that doesn't. That's a joke, people. Come on. Wow. Anyway... That's my experience, and your experience is the same within your world. In your sphere of influence, there are people, and you know this, there are people who absolutely hate what you stand for. A few years ago, we had to turn off the comments on our YouTube channel because people kept posting all these terrible things about me, and it hurt some feelings of some people in our church, probably my wife the most, but anyway... And one, one person said, listening to this man preach, talking about me, listening to this man preach is tantamount to listening to Satan himself. And I thought, I've never said I was a great preacher. But Satan himself, huh, that even makes me nervous. And then my head began spinning and I started spewing green stuff, so it's fine. If I had known 40 years ago that some of that stuff would be coming my way, it might have made me think longer and harder about choosing to go ahead and do what I do. But listen, listen carefully. We're not victims as Christians. We are not victims as Christians. We're victorious in Christ. So, let it go. Like a friend of mine said to me not long ago, sharks don't pay attention to minnows. You get that around noon. (laughs) Maybe I should say German shepherds don't pay attention to chihuahuas. You get the point? 
And while we're victorious positionally, that is, heaven is our home and we're going there one day positionally, as the scripture reminds us, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's the here and now that it's not always easy, right? So here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes the relational peace that we long for is never going to happen because one party doesn't want it. As a Christian, I think... In fact, I know we still have to strive to live peaceably with all, even if they don't want to accept it. So forgive. That's the takeaway. Forgive. Strive to make peace with the situation, even if you can't make peace with the person. That's the Jesus way. There are people in your life and mine that we know we'll never be close to the way that we'd like. That's okay. You can be at peace with someone but not want to exchange Christmas cards. I could talk about that all day because it's so important. To the point, do your part. That's all God requires of you. Not long ago, my friend Jim Elliff wrote something that fits at this point. Jim wrote, mercy smells like heaven. Mercilessness smells like hell. You are perhaps never more hellish than when you are bitter and revengeful. Let me add to that and simply say, you are perhaps never more heavenly than when you forgive. And that's what we're reminded of this morning. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.